You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. Welcome to our series through the book of 1 Corinthians. We're calling it Dirty Church. I want to invite you to grab your Bible, turn to the book of 1 Corinthians, and get ready to study God's Word together. Well, hello, Elgin. It is lovely to see you. It's been a little bit, and I always love being here. Uh, great to have the rest of our campuses join us. Um, you're going to need a Bible, and you're going to need to open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 35 to 58, is where we're going to be uh, zeroing in on. We're actually getting close to the end of 1 Corinthians, and uh, I actually love these last chapters uh, because they leave me with a sense of great joy as I think about it. So I've had a really great week studying this passage, and I hope that I'll be able to pass on some of the great joy that I've had to you folks today. Um, One of the things that's interesting when you have children that you're trying to raise in the Christian faith is that they often ask really odd questions. Um, Some of them have to do with like, so the snake actually talked, Dad, you know, and you, sometimes it's hard to figure out how to answer that. Well, yeah. How's that work, Dad? I've seen some snakes. They've never said anything to me. That kind of thing. There's lots of things in the Bible that are really difficult to kind of understand or, or, or sometimes honestly believe. So God, God got all of those people into an, all of those uh, animals into an ark, two of each. That's a big boat, Dad. And the whole world flooded. All, I mean, lots of things in the Bible that are really difficult sometimes for us to believe in and, and sometimes difficult for us to convey to our, to our children because they ask the obvious questions, right? Like, how does that work? One of the things that uh, the core pieces of Christianity, in fact, probably the core thing of Christianity is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we've Easter season, we've celebrated it in the last uh, few weeks. And uh, the promise according to scripture, is that Jesus rose as what they call the first fruits, meaning the the first part of a greater harvest, and that we will follow just as Jesus was raised. So if Jesus was raised physically from the dead, we too will be raised physically from the dead. And so you try to tell your kids, hey, so yeah, you're going to have a resurrection body. And they're like, okay, so I got some questions. And maybe some of you have these questions too. Number one, uh, how can a body live that long? Like, is gravity not going to be a thing? Because I don't know about you, gravity is a real enemy of mine right now. We'll, there's no, no more sagging of things. Everything's just going to stay firm and strong. Is that, like, is that the way it's going to work? Because my whole world doesn't work that way. How old will those new bodies be? Like, if you die at 85, are you getting the 85-year-old body back? If you die at 28, you get the 28-year-old body. Because if, if you die at 28, we're going to resurrection body. We should just all die at 28, right? I mean, I don't want 86-year-old body back. Why wrinkles? Um, will we be recognizable? Like some people have big scars on their faces, right? Or they have a problem with certain aspects of their body that don't look quite the way that they want them to look. Will we still look that way? Because there's certain aspects of my body I'd like to actually not have. Like if we're voting with the Lord, if we want to have like a meeting together with God, God, could we get rid of the rear end? Because that would be good. But it seems like when Jesus rose from the dead, people recognized him, but then some people didn't on the road to Emmaus. They didn't totally recognize him. So like, is that, 
Is that going to be the way it is? There'll be some people who recognize you and others who are like, I don't know who this guy is. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, it's Jeff underneath there. Uh, will we be able to get hurt in heaven? Like if you jump off a big cliff, you see those videos of the guys with the, the suits with the flying? Will we all be able to do that? And if we land, just respawn back at the top of the hill like it's a great video game? If there's no more sorrow, pain, or tears, does that include the, the hurting of the leg? Because that would be great, by the way. I mean, if you just think about it, that would be pretty amazing, right? I'm jumping off of everything. But it doesn't seem to be, I mean, our whole world is filled with hurt and pain, and there are dangers to doing certain things. And what if, it, what, what if you just don't feel it, right? It's just, it bounces off of you. But then one day, it'd be like having leprosy in that sense, that you don't have any feeling in your body. You look down, and you're just covered with blood or whatever. Or will there be blood in heaven? Can I go through walls? See, I'm asking this because there's a part where Jesus actually just emerges in the middle of his disciples, and he's just like, he's there. One minute he's not there, they're in a locked room, and then he's there. How'd he get there? Through the wall? Because cool, R right? And what about cremation? Like, so you get cremated, and then you take your body, and they put it in a little pot, and you say, I want my body, uh, my ashes to be spread uh, along the, in, in the Atlantic Ocean. And so they go out in the boat and they take your ashes and they say a prayer and they, whoo, all of your ashes go. Now, all of those ashes, the Atlantic Ocean is going to take those ashes to many different parts of the world. So at the resurrection of the dead, the people who are, who, who are buried, do they just, they just come up right away, right? With a new, are they going to be zombies? Or maybe, okay, they come up with a new resurrection body. But then what about the people who were cremated? Does, is that going to take a little bit longer? Like with the little speck over here or whatever? Will you be missing a nose until it comes from Saudi Arabia? <laughs> right. You're saying, these are dumb questions. Are they though? How does it work? It seems so unbelievable, this resurrection body. It's so outside the bounds of what we experience every day. It's so hard to believe that it is real, first of all, or that it could work. So help us, Paul. <laughs> Tell us why this is a thing. Why we should expect this to actually happen to us. And that's what he does in this, in this little section of 1 Corinthians. Um, the Corinthian church is having the same kinds of questions, to be honest with you. Their questions were a little bit more, as you'll see, a little bit more pointed than ours. I mean, I just ask those questions like, I'm really inquisitive and I want to know the answers. They ask a question and it's not quite as inquisitive. It's got a little edge to it. But in this passage, Paul really is going to try to answer the question, what does the resurrection of Jesus mean for those who will follow him in a resurrection? Like, what do we get? What does the resurrection give us? What effect should it have on us? And my answer to that question as I try to organize this passage is threefold. One, I think it's going to give us a cool new body. Second, a cool new taunt. And finally, a cool new motivation. See, I could have just said body, taunt, and motivation. But when you get through here, you're like, cool. So it's a cool new body. 
cool new taunt, a cool new motivation. So let's, uh, let's look at it in that order. A cool new body. So here's the beginning of this passage, 1 Corinthians 15, verse uh, 35. But someone, I'm circling someone because you, you're, if you're reading this, you're thinking, who, Paul? Like, who, who is asking this question? Someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? So he's creating a uh, fake debate partner, but it's fake in the sense that, hey, let's pretend there's a guy who raises this, you know, problem, and his name is Dim Talrymple, or do, do you know what I mean? Like, you know, his name is Bo Jiden. So Paul, Paul is basically doing here, look, this is a question that is in the minds of some people, and I don't want to use their names or anything like that, Donald Trump. And he puts this question, which is in their minds, in their mouths, through this fake debate partner. But someone, wink, wink, probably you, will ask, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? So this is an interesting question, right? You can, it's the question that I was just interacting with in the beginning of this, right? There are two different ways you can ask a question, though. One of the ways that you can ask a question is, through, is inquisitive. Like, how, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Like an expectant, like, I'm really interested in this, and I want to know the answer to this question. There's another way you ask a question, which is more edgy, right? How are, the, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? One of them has a bit of an accusation in it. The other one is just looking for information. Hey, hey, what are you doing here? Hey, what are you doing here? See? So when you write it down, you don't know the difference. Now, I know that this is the edgy kind. You know why? He responds with, you fool. That's the kind of thing you say to someone who's getting all up in your grill, right? And so this imaginary debate partner's getting all up in his grill by asking questions like, okay, you say the resurrection is true of the dead? These Greek people believed that uh, the physical body was useless, and if there's anything eternal, it's the non-physical part of you. That's their whole worldview. So Paul comes along and says, no, actually, you're going to have a physical, eternal physical body. And they're like, that breaks all of the rules of our worldview. Really, Paul? The physical body? How's it going to break gravity? So they got an issue with him, and he's got, obviously, an issue with them. You fool! I know that ESV here says, you foolish person, it's making it sound kind of nicer. The, the, the language is, you fool! Now that's not a nice thing to say to people in the Bible. It, it's not. It's, uh, you know, go through all of Proverbs and it compares the wise and the fool. You don't want to be the fool. The fool is the bad, the bad guy. What defines a fool as a fool, though? Well, actually, the scriptures give a definition of a fool. Like, what makes a fool a fool? Well, Proverbs 14, verse 1. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. What makes a fool a fool? 
Well, it's, they, they think or act atheistically. Now, I'm not just saying that they're, I'm not saying they're atheists. Atheists are fool according, fools according to the Bible because they're so uh, blind or, you know, entrenched in the belief that there is no God and it influences their whole, their whole life. And what, you know, the book of Proverbs is saying like, yeah, that's basically the way that fools live. They, they don't think there's a judgment. They don't think that there's a God they have to answer to. They don't think there's a God who made them. They just sort of kind of make up the rules as they go. And you're a fool if you do that. So here are the Corinthians coming along and they've got this lens of Greek, their Greek background on and they're saying, Look, according to our lens, Paul, there is no such thing as a physical resurrection from the dead because that's stupid. And Paul's like, man, you got the long lenses. You got your fool lenses on because you're not taking into account the fact that there is a real God. You're thinking the world exists in this closed system where, yes, physical is bad and non-physical is good. But what if there's a God in heaven who actually can make a body that could last a long time? Huh? Oh, I didn't think about it. Right, you didn't think about it. You know why? Because you're a fool. Listen very closely to me. You and I sometimes act like fools, think like fools. And you say, well, when do we do that? Uh, We act and think like fools when we assume in our questions toward God that he's not involved. You assume atheism in your questions toward God. Well, this ark couldn't work, clearly, according to the rules of science. Yeah, I know. But God, right? So, so think this through for me. Uh, what is, what it, practically speaking, what does a fool look like? It's a great story about one in the Bible. Uh, This is out of Luke's gospel. And he told them a parable. Jesus, of course, being he. He told them a parable. Okay, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, okay, so I want you to notice as we go through with this, what characters are involved in this story? Uh, A land of a rich man. Oh, there he is. That's, That's one character produced plentifully. And he thought to himself. What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And and he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all of my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, which I have named... He's called Soul. Soul, which is actually still him. You, which is me, have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, why is he a fool? Because his whole world of planning and all his assumptions about what he's supposed to do with his money are atheistic. I am the only person who exists in this whole world. In fact, I've named somebody else. I get lonely, so I've named my soul, soul, so I can talk to it. Like Wilson. Hello, soul, soul. Right? 
So here's a guy who views his money this way. Do you ever view your money that way? <laughs> Do you ever think that I made it? It's for me. Right, what, what do you call that kind of thinking? Well, it's kind of atheistic because you assume that the only person in the world that could benefit from the money that you have is you and that you might not be a conduit for other people because other people don't actually exist. So you're acting atheistically. What do you call someone like that? What's the Bible call someone like that? A fool. Uh, so imagine that there's a person uh, who is desperately worried about their finances. Will I ever have enough? Will the Lord take care of me? I better plan better. I better have this taken care of. You know, the end of this passage right here, if you keep going down all the way, it says, uh, it, it says, um, um, it, my mind is totally forgotten what it says, but it is. All these things shall be added to you, right? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things shall be added unto you. The problem with the guy is that he is assuming that there is no God. And sometimes in our planning and our thinking about finance, we think there is no God. All there is is my planning and my careful preparation. No. No. The Lord could come out of nowhere and drop thousands of dollars in your bank. But you don't assume that. And so you end up hoarding the money in case you need it later. Uh, what about the people who, who sometimes make plans? Again, I don't know people like this. I know a guy named Beth Juckman who sometimes does this. You know, you make great plans. I, I'm going to have children, and the children are going to be at this date on this year. You know, we're going to have one in 2023, 2025, 2027, 2029, and 2031. And at that point, we're not going to have any more. And all of those children will grow up to love Jesus and play professional football. And then your kids grow up, and they're not playing professional football, right? One of them wants to be an artist. And so you're like, oh, my goodness, what happened to my plan? Or maybe you just decided that you were going to build a business, and it was going to go a particular way, and it didn't go that way. Or you wanted to plant a church, and it didn't go that way. Or your kids didn't do exactly what you wanted them to do. You had a plan, and it took a, it took a hook. And you're like, I can't believe my planning didn't work out. What was your problem in the planning? Yeah, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. What do you call somebody who makes all of these grand plans and they don't come to fruition and they're angry about it? What, is the, what have they done? Well, they've left God out of the picture. What do you call those people? Well, you call them a fool. Look, here's the thing. Uh, don't be a fool. Just at the very beginning of this, I just want to establish, don't be a fool. You don't need to leave God out of your planning. You don't need to think, leave God out of your thinking about money. You don't need to think, leave God out of all the worries that you have in your life. He has promised that he loves you and will take care of you. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I am with you, he says. My rod and staff will comfort you. Don't forget the good shepherd. 
Right, so back to this passage. Someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Well, you fool. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. So we're using an image now of a seed. We throw the seed in the ground and we cover it over with dirt, right? So it dies. And then what comes up from the seed looks very different than the seed. Yes? It's magic. Because you put something in that looked like this little tiny thing, and then it grew up to look like something very different. What you sow doesn't come to life unless till it dies, and what you sow is not the body that is to be, right? The, The tulip has a different body than the tulip bulb. It's a bare kernel, the thing that you put in the ground, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain or tulip. But see, God gives it a body. He determines what kind of body is going to grow up in that situation as he has chosen. And to each kind of seed, it has its own body. So you can bury certain things and they will come up to look different. And the thing that they look different, right? When they come up and they look different, they are uniquely suited for the place that they're in, right? And there are lots of different kinds of seeds. It's not just that you can do this with farming. Let's assume that, you know, the word seed in the Bible is used to talk about like the beginnings of everything, like an embryo is a seed, or maybe the seed of man is a seed. And the seed of man looks very different than the baby. Not all flesh is the same. There's, there's one kind for humans, right? There's a kind of seed for humans, and, and there's another body for animals, and there's other bodies for birds and fish, and each one of these ha- are uniquely suited to their own setting where they grow up. There are heavenly bodies. If we're going to use the word body, there's all sorts of like planets and stuff. There are earthly bodies, but the, the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of, of another kind. His point is, look, we know that the things that, uh, you know, if you put a bulb in the ground, it has all its potential for what it's going to grow into, but you don't see that yet when you put it in the ground. And then when it grows up, it actually, like I said, is suited for its own setting. So the best, maybe the way to, to illustrate what he's kind of trying to say here is, um, you know, if you're going to go to space tomorrow, one of the things that you're going to have to do is to get a space suit. So I'm going to build one for you. And when I build this spacesuit, I'm going to be taking all sorts of materials and stuff like that that don't look like a spacesuit. But I put them all together and I put them in a spacesuit and I put it on you. And that spacesuit is going to make you capable of living in space, of surviving in space. It's a uniquely designed sort of thing for that world. So Paul's point here. There's one kind of glory for the sun and another for the moon. There's another glory of the stars. Stars different from stars in glory. Each one of them is made for their own, their own place. His point here, oops. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. 
It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Isn't that the way it is though, right? I mean, when it, he's describing our physical bodies here and he uses these words, perishable, dishonor, weakness. Man, I'm 50 years old and I, I, like those words are true. When I was 21, I would have said, no, weakness, not right here, baby. But, but now, have you guys seen this, this painting? It's all, all over online of, uh, you stand at one side of it, it's a picture of a little girl, and as you walk by it, she ages. And then you get to the other side and she looks like an old woman. Now, that's an amazing piece of art. And of course, the art is always trying to tell a story to you, and that this story of this piece of art is this is life. This is what it looks like for everybody on the planet. You start young, and you end old wrinkly person. Instagram, a number of years ago, and Snapchat, they had this really cool feature where you could actually look in the thing and hit a button, and it would show you what you look like as an old person. I did it. I looked the same. <laughs> but you... That's... That's, that's what's going to happen. And so all these young people would look at it and go, oh my goodness, that's the case. I remember I used to play basketball with some of my, my son and some of his friends or we'd be goofing around doing something. And, you know, I'm, I'm old and I've got bad knees and I can barely move. I still beat them. But I can still, you know, like I, I can barely move. And it, at some point, you know, somebody on the court wants to get all chirpy or something. They end up saying something like, hey, how's it going, old man? When people tell me that, I'm like, hey, time out. Here's the deal. I want you to have a good look. You know, take your shirt off. This is your future, boy. Right? <laughs> all of you. I don't care who you are. No, I'm never going to look like that. Yeah, you will too. Worse. <laughs> and I can guarantee it. I can guarantee it. There will be a day where you can't play basketball like you did before. There will be a day where you will age and gravity has its effect. This is what it means to live in a perishable body. In a weak body, which is a word that's actually used in the Bible to talk more about illness. I was actually, there was a number of years ago, this, this, I, I was at a camp and this ball, soccer ball rolled to me. I love soccer, right? Soccer ball was rolling to me. Put my foot, I planted my foot. I turned around and I tried to kick the ball. I barely scuffed it so it like twists over here. My left knee just went pop for this movement. I better be careful. For this movement, tore my meniscus, couldn't walk for a very long time. Ended up having it repaired. They're like, you could never ski again, you know, because I can't go laterally. If you guys want to attack me, I can't go either way. Just come right at me. It's going to be there. My whole, my whole body is, is worn down. When I was young, I used to be able to scratch my back really easily. But now, honestly, if I try to scratch my back, my neck goes into seizures. And I end up in the hospital or something. And they, you, know, they get, you get in there and they're like, what'd you do? Oh, I tried to save a baby. The, no. What, what did you do? Well, I scratched my back. <laughs> But I'm old. Right, right. That's, that's the way it works. And everybody, we laugh because it's like, yeah, that's exactly my, my life. And I'll, and I'll be honest, okay? I, I hate the fact that I, I have 
mental and emotional weakness. I hate it. When I, I live with a brain that is all messed up and broken, I have to take medication for it. I hate standing in a group of people and feeling like I'm an idiot. I hate social anxiety where I meet somebody new and I want to meet them. I do. But then the first thing that's running through my mind is don't say anything wrong. Don't say anything wrong. Don't say anything wrong. You're a pastor. And we stand there and look at each other for a minute. So where are you from? And then they start talking and stuff. And the whole time they're talking, I want to show interest and stuff. Is your face looking right? And then once it's over, I go away. And I think to myself, okay, did, did that go well? Did I make a fool of myself? Did I look stupid? And because I'm not good at that, I end up having this kind of self-hatred. Like, you should be better at this. You're, you're a pastor. Why is this always a problem for you? Why is it that you can preach these sermons and talk about this grand grace and glory of God and the promise of the resurrection and go home and cry for no reason? Just sit there and just sob, feeling like there's no point or any. I, I hate it. I hate it. I hate walking by mirrors and saying, I don't want to look at that, right? Guys, seriously, I was out here earlier testing this screen and, you know, what you don't see here is I can see myself up in this up in this screen, and so I had a different shirt on. And I came over here and I said, whose rear end is that? That thing's like blocking out the whole. So I wore a different shirt, right? And it's still a problem. I hate it. I hate all of it. I hate all of it. This is, this is my life. And yet what this passage is saying is, yes, yes, what is sown, what's going to die is that thing, that perishable thing. But look, what is raised is what? Imperishable. Not worn down, not prone to decay. What is raised is in glory. It's a glorious, remarkable, beautiful uh, thing. Oh, you killed me. It's sown in weakness and, and it's raised in power. You know what that word means? It's, it's a Greek word dunamis. I mean dynamite. You're going to have a dynamite body. Can you imagine that? A dynamite body. Me. Right? I'd avoid mirrors now. I'd be walking by. Oh yeah. You know? That's amazing. It's, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, everlasting, sinless, physically and mentally dynamite body. There's a scene in Avatar, the first Avatar, where the main character, he's lost use of his legs because he was a, a soldier, and he's in a wheelchair all the time on Pandora, this big, this big planet somewhere. And so he can control this Avatar, this big blue Avatar, which is actually a physical thing, and, but the way he does it, he lays down his bad body in this in this tube, basically, that reads his mind, and he transports him into the mind and consciousness of this avatar. And the scene when he first does it is he's laying there, and then he gets up in the body, right? He can't get up out of the thing because he's, he's lame, and, but he gets up with the body, and he's like realizing, I have legs. I have legs. And everyone's like, well, just, this is a little test run. We just want to sit here and just kind of stretch for a little bit, and then we'll send you back. And this guy's like, whatever. He throws all the stuff off, and he starts running out the door and breaking through things. Woo! That's what I'm going to be like. That's what you're going to be like. 
Seriously, can you imagine not, not having any social anxiety at all? Can you imagine what it's going to be like to never get tired? To never feel worn out. To never sit on the side of your bed and cry. To, to never have any reason whatsoever to think that you look wrong. Because you finally see the whole world through the eyes of the God who made you and called it good. Can you imagine? I said, no, that's a cool uh, new body as far as I'm concerned. Uh, it's sown in weakness, raised in power, sown in natural body, raised in spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Thus, it is written. Okay, the first man, Adam. He's going to do this comparison here. The first man, Adam, right? So he, he became a living being. So God made him in the garden, and he was made for the garden. His body was designed to live on the garden, on the earth as it stands. But the last Adam, Jesus, he became a life-giving spirit. Where did he become? At the resurrection, he became a life-giving spirit. It's not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. And then the spiritual. This doesn't mean disembodied. It's a spiritual body in the sense that it has the ability to live in the spiritual realm, which is also physical, right? The new heavens and new earth. The first man, Adam, was from the earth. He was a man of dust. See, that's the stuff of which he was made. But the second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. See, that's why we're perishable. That's why we are suited to live in this particular climate and world. And as is the man of heaven, Jesus... So also are those who are of heaven. So just as we have been born in the image of the man of dust, which is what you are all experiencing right now, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. You want to know what the resurrection body's like? Just look at the resurrection body of Jesus. Hmm? And when you look at the resurrection body of Jesus, you start thinking, huh, this is kind of interesting because what kinds of things was Jesus able to do? Well... He went to the beach, right? Stood on the side and watched his friends catch fish. And then he, they came in and they ate. So there's going to be eating in heaven. Mmm. Seriously, do you know what they call, the, when, when all of history breaches its climax, you know what they call it? It's the great supper of the Lamb. It's, it's a meal, we get to sit around and eat meal. And you know what? Listen to me. Listen to me carefully. At this meal, you will reach for those peas and you will pull back starburst. You will reach for the cauliflower and in your hand, it will disintegrate into a Dorito because that's what's good and true and right. Like, okay, so we're going to eat there. All sorts of great food and fantastic things that we currently experience. Jesus ate, but the food's going to be even better. Jesus was recognizable, like I said at the very beginning, right? We're going to look like ourselves. Jesus had some scars. I don't know if that was just because, you know, he was supposed to signify, hey, I'm the real Jesus. So maybe just unique to him. But maybe we'll have scars and it will be a reminder to us about our lives. 
Also, probably not. God will give us a brand new resurrection body that will have some consistency with what was, but now has even more consistency with what we need going forward. Jesus appeared suddenly, right? The, the, in, in, the empty, uh, in the upper room, he shows up. Now, I was reading about this this week, and one of the commentators said, well, that might not be because he can go through walls or anything. It might just be because he was stealthy, which I thought, oh, that's cooler, Right? I'm going to scare the living daylights out of every last one of you. In fact, that's going to be my bucket list in heaven, right? Stealth, 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 stealth. Ah! You're going to be screaming. Heavenly fun! It's going to be great. Okay, so this one's pure conjecture. All the other ones are straight truth, right? This one's pure conjecture. A lot of people ask the question, uh, well, how, but how old are we going to be in heaven? All right, so listen. Just a, just a little theory that I have. So... Um, when God made Adam and Eve, he made them in the garden, and they were of uh, age to have children, right? He created them of an age to have children, so they were old enough for that. And when Jesus died and rose again, he died at around 30-ish. And when he came back, he looked like the Jesus who had died and rose again. He didn't go back to like 15, so if Jesus is in around that 30 mark and Adam and Eve are around that 20 to 30 mark, forever 21? <laughs> Just conjecture. It's cool in the body, man. Also, we will have a cool new taunt. And for people like me who love a good taunt, right? In your face, look what happened. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, meaning that uh, your body as it currently functions, the flesh and blood that you currently have, it cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. He doesn't mean like, I don't know, just trust me on this. He's saying, look, this is something we didn't know before Christ came, but now th this mystery has been, has been revealed in Jesus. I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep. So there are going to be some people who are alive. This is Paul's word to talk about the death of Christians, right? Not everyone is going to fall asleep as a Christian. Some people will be alive when this happened. And for those people, when Jesus returned, they're going to be changed like this. We, we shall all be changed in a moment, in the, we, we use the word blink here, in the blink of an eye. At the last trumpet, it's a great picture, trumpet, because throughout the scriptures, that's actually what's used to signal the last battle. So you have all sorts of passages that talk about trumpets and what happens when the trumpet blows, then the Lord will appear over them. This is in Zechariah 9. The Lord will appear over them and his arrow will go forth like lightning. The Lord God will sound the trumpet and will, what? March forth on the whirlwinds of the south, right? <laughs> He's coming, man. Like a whirlwind, like a tornado, baby, when the trumpet goes. Uh, how about this one? Blow a trumpet in Zion. This is out of Joel chapter 2. Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, and it is near. And how do you know? The trumpet blew. You see? So at the last trumpet, 
the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. So all of the Christians who went before will come out of their graves imperishable, not zombie, imperishable, resurrected bodies. And they'll be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. Those of us who are alive at the time, we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, it's then shall come to pass this saying, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Oh, see, remember what I said about questions? There's ways you can ask it. Death, I, where is your victory? And where is your sting? Like, I'm one, I've been looking for your sting. Is this an honest question or is it, hey, death, I got a question for you. What you got? Oh, where's your victory? This death that has taunted us our whole lives. We've had to sit by and watch our loved ones be eaten by it. And death stands over us and says, I own you. I will always own you. You have to have something to do with me. But at this moment, the death that taunts us, we can stand up and go, oh, not anymore, brother. Now that's a good taunt. See, now listen, my, my friends, my friend and I, we were playing, uh, we, we, like, we watched basketball together a number of years ago, right? So this is in the early days of the DVR. So it was not that long ago. But anyway, I, I had actually, he said, well, we're going to get together tonight and watch the game. But the game had started like an hour earlier. So we were watching on delay. And I was like, it's fine. Um, I was checking the score on my phone because I'm a cheater like that. We were going to watch it together. No cheating, he said. So I checked it on the phone. And I went to the bathroom. And I noticed that we won. My team, which was down by 20 at one point, came back and won on a last-minute three-point shot. But we were behind the whole game. So I walked back in and I was like, oh, okay. Because he'd been taunting me about how much better his team was the whole time. I had nothing to say because my team stunk. So I sat down on the, on the couch and every time they scored, he'd be like, ooh, yeah, you're, you're, come on. Do his little dance around the room. Game got down, we started getting closer. I'd be like, he's getting a little bit closer. And he'd be like, no, it's not gonna get close. You guys stink, it's not, we're gonna pull this out. And then at the end, my team, it scored like 10 points in the last minute. It was unbelievable. Anyway, on the last three-point shot, they threw it to one of our players in the corner. He faded back, and he hit this three-point shot. And as soon as the, this guy who had taunted me this whole time, that ball goes through the hoop. He had been standing up over me this whole time, and he was sitting down, and he was like, no, what do you think I did the moment that thing went through the hoop? What's up? Come on! What you got, you taunting a little, mm, right? That's, that's what we'll do to death. In your face, death. Thought you had us? Nah. Nah, Jesus beat you, boy. And so will we. Last one, okay? We also then have a cool new motivation. Uh, here we go. Therefore, so all this, listen, all this talk about, all this talk about the resurrection body has led us to this, according to Paul. Therefore, 
That's what will happen, my beloved brothers and sisters. So what do we do now? Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable. I'm not going anywhere. You can try to bully me off of this spot where I'm standing firm for Christ. You can try to drag me away through suffering and pain and heartache, but I am not going to give in because I know what's coming. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing, you know that in the Lord your labor is, look, look what he says, it's not in vain. Where did he get that language from? Okay, so the begin. this is the last word of 1 Corinthians 15. Paul's last word on this particular subject. Look at the first verses of 1 Corinthians 15 when he started talking about this. Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you do what? You, you stand, yeah? Not only do you stand, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, right? The promise of the gospel and the promise that it will happen and you're not swayed one way or the other. You're complete, committed to what Christ has called you to. I'm going to obey him, come what may. I'm going to prioritize the work of the Lord for my labor in Christ is not in vain. The word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. So do you believe in vain? What's supposed to help me in the midst of all of the trouble and difficulty and all the things that I'm facing? The fact that this resurrection body is just over the hill. You guys ever seen that stupid show called Fear Factor? Joe Rogan actually was in it before. It was the first thing. Fear Factor is this dumb show. It's a reality show uh, where they make you eat a whole bunch of things or lie in, in horrible situations so that if you keep eating it, uh, and are able to, you know, pass up all of your friends who decide not to eat it, you'll get like a million bucks. So they would blend up rats in front of people with the blender, you know, and make them drink it. Cow intestines, they'd have to eat out of a bowl. Spiders crawling all over their bodies, and if they didn't, if they stayed there for two minutes, it was fine. I used to watch this show and go, there is no way I would ever do this. Why are they doing this? You know why they did it? They had one million reasons why they did it. Because the knowledge of this glorious reward and what will happen if you continue just makes you steadfast and immovable, doesn't it? Our lives are filled with blended up rats. I've had a few, thanks. I do not consider the sufferings of this present age worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. Oh, I finished with this. Listen, um, there was, I was at a wedding yesterday. A dear couple from our church got married. And I, was, uh, I had to actually race immediately after the wedding to go and preach at the service last night. Right before I left was the, you know, the service had come to a conclusion. But I was... <laughs> 
overwhelmed with this picture. Larry, he's one of the, he was the groom, and he was standing up on the stage, the altar, and all the bridesmaids and their beautiful gowns were all here, and his groomsmen were looking over there. They had led all of these people in, and they stopped for this brief second. Maybe it was like 10, 15 seconds, where they closed the back doors, and the bride got in place, but we couldn't see her. And then the music started up, and the doors swung open, and there was Stephanie in her majestic beautiful gown and she walked forward and dude I'm gonna tell you what I'm just like why are the tears coming you know you know what all I could think about was this passage Revelation 21 verses 2 to 4 and I saw holy city the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of man is, of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain, because the former things, the former things will be passed. Let me pray. Father, I'm thankful for the promise of eternity, and I'm thankful, Father, what it's supposed to produce in us, and so I pray that it would produce it in us. Find us, Father, immovable and steadfast and willing to keep going no matter what because you have both filled us with your spirit to make that happen, and I pray, Spirit, that the way that you would do it is keep reminding us of the glory that is to come. Help us to set our minds on things above, not on earthly things. Help us to be people of the heavenly realm, Father, so that we can be better people of the earthly realm. (laughs) Help us, Lord. And more than anything, come, Lord Jesus. The Spirit and bride say, come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. For more information on how to get connected to one of our campuses, go to harvestbiblechapel.org. Tune in again next week for another edition of the Harvest Bible Chapel podcast.